In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Hello and welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Michael Bloom. And I'm Nathan Seelove. And I am so happy to be back. Yes. <laughs> I uh, I really did enjoy doing podcast episodes with uh, my father. Uh, mm. I think my dad did a really good job of yeah, discussing a lot of the science. Um, so, you know, a huge special thanks to my dad. Uh, yes. But it is also really good to have you back, Michael. Um, yes, especially thank you for me. Enabling me to take a vacation was really nice. <laughs> yeah, so I appreciate yeah. that. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, you didn't miss much. Yeah, it's just a shame nothing happened while I was gone. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, let's let's see. So uh, there was uh, another unarmed black guy that got shot mm. in Wisconsin, which sparked mm. a bunch of riots, which mm. resulted in a teenager um uh, shooting three people, killing two of them, which the mm. president then defended, and he actually uh, has recently come out even more directly in favor of extrajudicial killings when talking about uh, the killing of an Antifa member. And then, you know, uh, there was also a Woodward tape that came out in which Trump admitted back in February to knowing how bad the coronavirus was. And then in March, he admitted to downplaying it on purpose. Uh, oh, and, and, and while all of this was happening, uh, uh, California um, caught fire because of a gender reveal party and <laughs> the skies are blaze orange. So, you so know, like nothing. Yeah. You, you missed a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. And, Unfortunately, the news just doesn't stop. It so really doesn't. It does not. So can, today we've got some... Can you just... I am really looking forward to the days on this podcast where mm. you and I have trouble coming up with stories. To, yeah, when it's just like theoretical discussions. Yeah, exactly. And... <laughs> you know? Like, there will uh, still be important issues to discuss, but it'll be nice to finally get to the point where we don't have where we have to scramble for stories because there's not mm -hmm. as much to talk about. We can spend some time like diving into specific interesting topics rather than just whatever the most recent fire is that we have to put out. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although that happening is definitely far from a certainty. So, yeah. you know, so vote, vote, <laughs> <laughs> give us a break. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Be uh, good to your friendly neighborhood perspectrum and uh, go <laughs> vote Joe Biden into office. So, and Michael, so, what, are, what are our topics for today? So we'll start off by talking about some of the immigration topics that have been in the news, and then uh, we'll move on to discuss um, the California forest fires and climate change in general in a, more, in a more broad context. And then we'll wrap up the episode by talking about fake news in kind of a more more theoretical more like in-depth look at like the impacts of fake news yeah well specifically the rhetoric of fake news not necessarily yeah. fake news itself um yeah. yeah uh but before we get started with that michael i have missed having you do the covid numbers because i'm dyslexic and i kept <laughs> messing up and we had to keep retaking it so uh why don't you why don't you read us the covid numbers 
Yeah, sure thing. So worldwide, at this point, we've had a total of 29.9 million cases, which is an increase of 6% over last week, with a total of 943,000 deaths and a total of 21.7 million cases recovered. Um, so currently, uh, there are active in the world 7.2 million cases, um, which is an increase of 2.9% over last week. So so the total cases increased 6%, but the total new active cases, total active cases increased 2.9%. So what, we're, what that means basically is that we're seeing a slower growth in active cases, which is generally an indication that we're getting a better handle on the virus. So if we start seeing a growth in active cases of zero, that means that we're getting the same number of new cases as we're getting as we're getting cases recovered. So at that point, we're starting to get a handle on it. When numbers go negative, that's when um, there are more recoveries than new cases. So the the number of um, active cases at any given time is declining. Um, so the fact that we're at 2.9 percent, which is kind of a slower growth rate in active cases is a really good thing. Mm. Um, unexpectedly, at least, you know, if, if our first few months of covering coronavirus numbers is any indication, the U.S. is doing better than this. Yeah. So, yeah, so we've had a, a total of 6.8 million cases at this point, which is an increase of 3% over last week. So just about half of the, the rate of increase of, of the world overall. And currently, we've got 2.5 million active cases, which is up just 0.2% from last week. So hmm. really close to homeostasis. Hmm. Yeah, which is, which is pretty interesting. Now, notice this, though, that, you know, that 2.5 million cases is like 37% of the total cases that have happened. So, like, we've got a lot, a lot larger portion of cases that are still currently active of our total cases than the world overall. So that kind of indicates that, you know, we are getting, you know, a hold of the spread, but that we're still in the midst of kind of the peak. Yeah, yeah. So we need to get better with treatment, but we're doing better with preventing the spread. Yeah, and and that's a that's a huge point too. Like the 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 number of active cases, the growth in active cases um, can be resolved in two ways, right? It can be resolved by recoveries, but it can also be resolved by deaths. And so worldwide, 4% of people who have contracted the disease have died. Um, and in the US, that's 5%. Hmm. So we're resolving cases, active cases, faster than the world overall. Um, but more of them are ending in death rather than recovery. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Never ends on a high note, right? <laughs> no, no, COVID never does. Um, yeah, also, uh, apparently, this is all Biden's fault because uh, <laughs> Biden didn't implement uh, mandatory masks. Now, I, I can mm. see your face right now, Michael. I know that <laughs> I know that other people can't see your face, but you seem to be making a confusing face. I'm I, very confused. I, I assume <laughs> that the confusing face is because I said Biden and not Trump. Yes, I assume. Yeah, maybe you made a mistake. I, I, I don't know if you know this, Nathan. Biden is not president. Well, I, I'm aware of that, but I'm not sure <laughs> if Donald Trump is. Um, You'd think. Because he was, he was doing a town hall recently uh, on NBC News. And he was asked by a woman about mask wearing. She asked him, why is it that you didn't support a mandate for national mask wearing? Why didn't you wear a mask more often? 
And his response was, well, I do wear them when I have to, when I'm in hospitals and other locations. But I will say this. They said at the Democrat convention, they're going to do a national mandate. They never did it because they've checked out and they didn't do it. And a good question is, you ask why, Joe Biden? They said they're going to do a national mandate on masks. What? Yeah. <laughs> what on earth? No, no, you you do a national mandate. <laughs> you're the you're the president. Like, like also also Joe Biden has been pressuring governors into doing mm. mask mandates, and I'm pretty sure that in order for there to be a national mask mandate, that has to come from the president, or at least if it's going to be signed into law. If it's gonna, if it needs to be a law, if it has to go through Congress, you still need to sign it, which means that I, you need to advocate for the passage of a bill in Congress, and then mm. you need to sign it. Joe Biden does—he's not do none of those things. He's yeah. not elected in any position. He's not even the mayor of a town. Yeah, like, he's barely he other than nothing. a random citizen. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that is so unconnected from reality. I'm so blown away, and yeah. also. So does oh, he it's want gonna get worse mandatory mask wearing or, do, or not? Like, I don't I, get it. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. Because he keeps arguing against it. And now mm -hmm. he's blaming Biden for not doing what he should have done a long time ago when mm -hmm. Biden doesn't have the power to do it. <laughs> I don't it's, know. It's, I, I, I liked your and your dad's synopsis of like his like stupidity versus, um, you know, evil or whatever yeah. last week. I just keep going back and forth. Yeah. Is he stupid? I just can't is he evil? decide. I, he's, I, I think he's definitely both to an extent, but mm. I don't know what the, I don't know what the breakout is. Yeah. Like, I don't know what the make, is it like, you know, 60% stupidity, 40% evil, you know, 70% evil, 30% uh, stupidity. I, I, I honestly, I honestly could not tell you. Uh, and to an extent, I'm not sure that dichotomy even matters. Because yeah, that's when, what I'm thinking. When you're at the point where you decide that you should be president, you need to be really sure of your own abilities. You need to be mm -hmm. really smart. And if you're an idiot and you still decide, yeah, I should be president, I'm sorry. I, I, I view that as evil. That's why, yeah. that's why Kanye West was our asshat because we were like, look, you obviously are not qualified for this job. And you're making a mockery of the office just by saying mm -hmm. that you're going to run. Now, of course, so is Donald Trump. Sure. But. But that's the point. But that's the point. <laughs> yeah. So anyways. Yeah, I agree. Anyways, all this talk of COVID is important. Is an important segue to our main segment here, which is immigration facilities and COVID. Yeah. So there are several really important stories that Michael and I want to discuss. Um, Michael, you want to start us off with forced hysterectomies? Oh, do I ever. <laughs> uh, oh, that's so sad. Yeah. Yeah, so um, what Nathan's referring to, if you haven't already heard, is a whistleblower complaint filed uh, with the Government Accountability Office, which is a Department of Homeland Security watchdog, um, by a former nurse from a uh, ICE detention facility in Irwin County, uh, Georgia. And um, the complaint alleged a number of really disturbing things, 
including a, um, a really high rate of hysterectomies among uh, Spanish-speaking women, and included alleging that many times um, these women weren't able to give full consent because they weren't instructed about why they were receiving this treatment or necessarily sometimes what the treatment was at all. And it seems to be linked to um, a few doctors, specifically the the whistleblower said that um, of one doctor that, quote, everybody he sees has a hysterectomy, just about everybody. He's even taken out the wrong ovary on a young lady. She was supposed to get her left ovary re- removed because it had a cyst on the left ovary. He took, it, he took out the right one. She was upset. She had to go back to take out the left, and she wound up with a total hysterectomy. And this nurse that did the whistleblower complaint, she said that this particular doctor was referred to as the uterus collector. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What yeah. the hell? It's absolutely insane. And and so ICE has um, kind of withheld a response, but they did say basically that um, these claims were unsubstantiated and not fact-checkable and things like that. But the fact is that um, these kinds of claims have been corroborated from you know a couple other sources. So Leanne Culbreth, who is a co-founder and co-chair of uh, South Georgia Immigrant Support Network, said, quote, with alarming frequency, we hear about a women who've received gynecological procedures. Sometimes they were not given the opportunity to consent for that. And Pramila Jayapal, um, who appears to have been briefed by a number of attorneys uh, representing detainees um, from this facility, said nearly 20 women, um, that nearly 20 women have been subject to unnecessarily gynecological procedures with, quote, a clear intention of sterilization. It's just... That's eugenics. It's eugenics. And it's really, it's terrifying because of the history in the United States of um, eugenics at various facilities. It's like... Yeah. And and just medical practices in general that specifically target people of color. You had the Tuskegee syphilis study. Uh, mm. You had the forced sterilization of black women. Of black women. Um, you have... Uh, several instances in which, you know, during the eugenics movement, people with certain disabilities were forced into eugenics. I mean, hell, the yeah. the founder of Planned Parenthood, which, you know, I, you know, Michael and I support Planned Parenthood and all, but the founder of Planned Parenthood, she believed in eugenics. Mm-hmm. Teddy Roosevelt believed in eugenics. I mean, yeah. we have a really startling history of horrific instances of using reproduction or at least using reproductive oppression against minorities. Yeah. As a form of, of genocide. And look, I, at this point it's, it's a whistleblower complaint. The calls Mm -hmm. right now are for investigation. Yeah. Including from Nancy Pelosi and 173 other members of Congress are pushing the uh, uh, inspector general of the department of homeland security to investigate it yeah and look this is also in a lot of ways in keeping with what we already know about the horrific conditions at ice facilities you know we have seen the pictures of 
uh, of immigrant detainees forced mm-hmm. into these tiny cages. We've heard all of these uh, cases in which, uh, when you know, when Alexandria Ocasio Cortez went to go visit one of these facilities, the guards were being aggressive towards her. Uh, mm-hmm. There were people that were ta- there were women that were talking to her about how uh, they weren't given proper access to toilet paper. Yeah, and. And look, you know, if you if you want to try to tell me like, okay, but, you know, you can't blame any of this stuff on Trump because like, you know, kids in cages will Obama had kids in cages, too. Okay, so that claim has been widely debunked. While Mm. it is true that during the Obama administration, there were cases in which uh, children were separated from their parents. And you can say that the fact that that happened under the Obama administration was a failure of the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. You can make that argument. It was not a top-down systemic issue. It was not yeah. policy yeah. that was implemented by Obama or by high-ranking officials within the Obama mm. administration to say, this is how you handle immigrants. Under the Trump yeah. administration, it was a specific policy that was created by Jeff Sessions in order to disincentivize people from coming to the United States. Yeah, it was sure. a top-down policy. So yeah. don't try to hit me with what about isms or non sequiturs or red yeah. herrings. This right here is indicative of a larger issue within the Trump administration mm-hmm. of systematically dehumanizing, degrading mm-hmm. of people within migrant detainee facilities. Yeah. And it, and it corroborates calls for a serious overhaul, if not a dismantling of ice as yeah. a program. Yeah. Because, the fact is that, you know, kids in cages was a top-down policy. I don't think anybody thinks that forced sterilizations yeah. Yeah, I didn't are mean a to top-down policy. I didn't of course. mean to imply that. Yeah, of course. But what we do know is that these things have persisted and occur in these poorly managed facilities. Yeah. And so the fact that they can persist, the fact that they can exist, and only... And you know, we only, I'm sure, hear about some of them. Like, eventually, if there's smoke, shouldn't we be looking for a fire? Yeah. And, and the, and, the and, fact is that, you know, f- over 400,000 people in 2018 were detained in ICE facilities. And they run, like, over 200 detention centers. And, you know, every year or or even more often, we hear about these tremendously heinous, this tremendously, you know, heinous treatment of detainees and let's be clear these are not like violent criminals these are not the kind of people that um you know tend to end up in our prison system these are people that just uh failed to have a legal immigration status in the u.s and are waiting for their um you know their cases uh to make their way slowly through um you know immigration courts yeah. are waiting to get deported and things like that. Like this is not, uh, we should be treating these people as guests to some degree. I mean, I know that sounds maybe weird, but like, it's like, there's no reason why these people should be in what amount to prisons. Yeah. And, and look again, if you do want to criticize the Obama administration as well for a lack of oversight and ice, you definitely can, because ICE did terrible things under Barack Obama as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that that does contribute to an important conversation that we need to have if Biden becomes president, mm-hmm. where 
we need to make sure that we hold him accountable for the treatment of immigrants. And we can't just excuse any mistreatment of immigrants under the under a, a potential Biden administration because he's a Democrat. So yeah. this is also an important message to those of you that might be liberals or progressives mm -hmm. that are listening. Uh, we don't want to let Trump get away with this stuff. Yeah. We also can't let Biden get away with any of this if this persists under a Biden administration. Because it's it's not about us. It's not about Trump. It's not about Biden. It's not about the guards and the facilities. It's not about Democrats or Republicans. Yeah. It's about that there are human beings like who have done like no crimes against our society being detained in ways that are unsafe for them and, you know, in facilities that according to this complaint are um, unsanitary, receiving neglectful medical treatment, um, and in the time of coronavirus, being exposed to, you know, un, um, insufficient protections from coronavirus. Uh, Wooten specifically calls out that um, people were um, encouraged to come into work even if they were symptomatic. Yeah. Um, she was apparently demoted because she hadn't come to work while she was waiting for a COVID test. So yeah. if you cannot bring yourself to be empathetic towards immigrants, mm -hmm. at least be empathetic to the people that are working in the uh, actual facilities, because mm -hmm. they're getting affected by this too. Yeah, the, I mean, these facilities are failing to test symptomatic detainees, and they're failing to isolate suspected cases they're not encouraging social distancing it's like they're really just they're really just leaving these people to fend for themselves and that includes you know people that work in these facilities and detainees as well yeah there was another story that came out that you know in some ways i would say almost one-ups this mm. um because of just how coordinated and malicious this is like some of the things you might be able to chalk to lack chalk up to lack of top-down oversight with mm -hmm. the, this uh case of forced hysterectomies and look you know that doesn't that's not an excuse um but but it's of, different from being it's different. led it's different yeah. from being you know led in a top in a top-down sort of way and and look ultimately what needs to happen is investigations because yeah even though a lot of this is very much in keeping with what we have come to expect from ICE based on a lot, lots of other corroborated information about ICE facilities, there does still need to be a comprehensive investigation so that we know the extent of yeah. what is going on. And anybody, regardless of if you're a Democrat or Republican, should support that. Mm -hmm. But another thing that happened was even more malicious. So... The Washington Post reported a story in which there were a bunch of immigrant detainees that were flown from various different facilities, several of which were mainly in Arizona, to the Farmville facility in Virginia. So there's a lot to this story, and I think the reason why there hasn't been a lot of coverage of it is because it is a little bit complicated. So let's mm -hmm. let's take a few steps back. Let's talk about some quick uh, regulations on um, 
on a fish ice agents on charter flights. So there are regulations that say that ice agents are not allowed to um, fly on official business on charter flights unless they're escorting an immigrant detainee. Mm -hmm. So right now, the uh, secret police that Trump has been keeping, that Trump has been trying to send into cities in order to basically round up protesters, m most of which end up being peaceful, um, a lot of them, a lot of them are made up of ICE agents, of people from uh, you know Customs and Border Patrol. So he wanted the Trump administration wanted more. Uh, ICE agents to be flown to the DC area so that they can, you know, be used to uh, try to fight against protests in the DC area. So in order to do this, they wanted to make it so that these agents could fly on charter flights. So in order to do that, they had them transporting detainees from other facilities mm -hmm. so that they could, you know, do it on official business. So that's already bad enough. The fact that he is trying to transport people specifically for a secret police force, that should be bad enough. What's mm -hmm. worse is that the excuse that they gave, the official line that they gave, is that they're trying to transport prisoners from facilities that have a larger population to facilities that have a smaller population mm -hmm. as a national effort to reduce the spread of COVID within these facilities. Couldn't have, that have just been the reason? Well. <laughs> just to play devil's advocate here. No, it, it couldn't have been because uh, because facts, you know. <laughs> so according to... Oh, those pesky things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So while the argument that we do need to try to spread out uh, detainees among different facilities in order to prevent the spread of COVID... That makes sense if we mm -hmm. are, I mean, if we are accepting the idea that these people should be held in detainee facilities, which Michael and I don't. But if we are, but if they're going to be, then they needed to be treated well and they needed yeah. to be uh, kept in conditions in which they are not at risk of COVID. And there have been a lot of facilities around the country that have actually decreased their population. In fact, we're actually at one of the lowest immigration prison populations um, that we've had in a very long time, specifically because of COVID, because there have been less border crossings um, during this time period. So that's not what happened here, though. So according to ICE's own statistics, um, one of the jails in which people were transported from, uh, the uh, CCA Florence facility in Arizona, they were approximately 35% full. The Farmville, Virginia facility, at the time that these requests went through, was 57% full. Hmm. Now, there was one facility that they requested it, that they requested a transfer from, in which um, the... Uh, in which the facility was about 70% uh, full. Uh, that was the uh, Alloy Detention Facility in Arizona. Mm -hmm. But again, why move would you take it? Move to the it? Florence one, you or, know? <laughs> well, or move it to another facility that yeah. ha that's even less full. Yeah. Like, don't move it to Farmville, Virginia. 
So that is clearly, that is clearly a completely disprovable uh, excuse. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, what they did was they transported prisoners to a facility that had a fairly decent sized population already in order to be able to officially fly in more agents for Trump's secret police force. And if this, and as, as if that part isn't bad enough, it gets even worse because at this facility, there was a COVID outbreak, which I know shocking. Yeah. Oh, you're putting a bunch of people together that you just transported across the country. <laughs> yeah. 300 inmates, 300 inmates contracted COVID. Mm. And one of them have has already died. Now, I don't know if these orders came directly from Trump, but it, it was his administration. It was for his secret police. Mm -hmm. We got to vote this administration out. Yeah. In response to protests, protesting the killing of innocent people, he led directly to the death of more innocent people. And now it's time for one of our more positive segments, Tips for Good. So, Michael, why do we do Tips for Good every week? Well, Nathan, we do Tips for Good every week because, um, well, really it's because well, hey, little girl, is your daddy home? Did he go and leave you all alone? I got a bad desire. Oh, I'm on fire. And also, you know, to make the world a little bit of a better place. <laughs> Where daddies are home and you're not alone and we're not on fire. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, uh, the, the world being on fire, that's, you know. <laughs> too soon. Too, too soon. <laughs> well, yeah. wow, that song's really creepy. It's a, dude. It's really creepy. Like, there are so many creepy songs from that time. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, people people often talk about how, you know, creepy Baby It's Cold Outside is when you break it down, but that song's even, like, damn. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know what Bruce was thinking. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so Nathan, what is our tip for good this week? Well, Michael, our tip for good this week, stop using disability as an insult. Hmm. So, Amen. one of the things that I often see in discourse, especially in political discourse, is the use of the rhetoric of, well, everybody on the other side has some type of mental illness. Basically, the idea is they're so stupid, you know, they must be mentally ill. Yeah. Have you and, heard the term libtard? Yeah, like, like that. I've also heard the term conservatard not as much but doesn't really roll off the tongue <laughs> eh, i mean honestly neither does libtard really like neither of them i've started to reclaim libtard i refer to myself <laughs> as that <laughs> well so so here's here's one of the reasons why i'm bringing this up so i actually have a mental disability i i believe i've mentioned this several times on the podcast if you're new to the podcast then you know Welcome to this information. Uh, I'm on the <laughs> autism spectrum. And look, when someone, when I'm talking to someone and they're like, oh, you're liberal? I think liberalness is a mental disability. 
It's like, well, you know, I actually do have a mental disability. And usually when I say that, they, you know, they retract like, oh, oh, shit, I didn't mean to, uh, I didn't mean to, you know. And, and here's the thing. <laughs> I think it's actually, it's not just offensive to people with disabilities. It's also, it also really undermines your argument. Because a lot of the times when we're having disagreements about ideology, we're having disagreements about morality. Mm -hmm. And if your argument is, well, you are less moral because you have a mental disability, you are basically making the argument that people with mental disabilities are less moral. Yeah. And I'm not sure that that's the argument that you're trying to make. Mm -hmm. So, And it's pretty false on its face. So Yeah. So, and look, I've seen liberals and conservatives do this. You know, there is a difference. I, I would like to add a caveat. There is definitely a difference between expressing legitimate concern about a potential mental condition mm -hmm. um, that a politician might have and just doing blanket statements of anybody who has this ideology has some type of mental disability. Yeah. So, yeah. for example, we have expressed concern over Joe Biden's mental health because, you know, he has showed some signs of early onset dementia. Um. And we've also expressed many concerns about uh, Donald Trump's mental health, mm -hmm. you know, because he is almost a textbook definition of narcissistic personality disorder. Um, and he's stupid. And he's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, Which, maybe that's not it. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, but that's not a mental disorder. Like, I would say that Trump isn't stupid because he has a mental disorder. He's stupid because, you know, he was handed everything his entire life and he never had to work for anything mm -hmm. so please just just stop you know stop yeah. bringing disability into it you can make good arguments and you can even make creative ad hominems against mm. your political opponents without bringing disability into it and that's tips for good So now that we have spent some time talking about uh, the forced eugenics of immigrants in the United States detainee facilities and the oppression of people at the hands of the Trump administration, let's move on to a lighter topic. The impending doom of our entire planet. <laughs> yeah, so if you haven't heard about it or if you haven't realized the that world's we've mentioned on it fire. three or four times, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. The world's on fire, specifically California as part of the world. So in the last few weeks, California has experienced six of the largest wildfires in modern history. At the same time, um, temperatures in the state broke all-time temperature records. In Death Valley, um, the temperature reached 130 degrees, which is mm. like, I think it tops out the highest temperature, one of the highest temperatures ever recorded on Earth. Mm. And at the same time, this has all triggered intense smog throughout California and really low air quality. And all of this points to one major culprit, climate change. Oh, I, you know, I thought Sorry, you were going to- Sorry, gender reveals. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I thought you were going to say exploding trees. Oh, uh, oh man, I, I missed that in my research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Spontaneously exploding trees. Well, well, you might have missed that in your research, but Donald Trump didn't. He doesn't miss much. Yeah. Um, Not, mostly things that aren't there, but... <laughs> yeah. So uh, when Trump was talking about uh, the wildfires in California, um, he, he had an important scientific hot take, pun intended, on what caused the fires. So what he said was, quote, 
But with regard to the forest, when trees fall down after a short period of time, about 18 months, they become very dry. They become really like a matchstick. And then they get up, you know, there's no pouring water through, and they become very, very, well, they just explode. They can explode. What the heck? Yeah. The thing so, is, as, as <laughs> I like the part where they get up. They're like the Ent from Lord of the Rings. They hop up and then they explode. They're, they're the suicide bombers of the forest. <sighs> yeah. Like, I, I mean, the president of the United States just said that if a tree falls in the forest, um, after a while, it just explodes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that old moral quandary. If a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to clean it up, it explodes. <laughs> no, the but that's is, the argument he's making. He's saying that it's forest management. If you don't clean up a fallen tree, it'll just it'll just explode. And and the thing is like the crazy thing to me is like he starts off kind of okay. Trees fall down, they dry out. And then he totally goes off the rails yeah, from there. It's like, it's like, yeah, up until then, you know, yeah, he's right. And and he actually, you know, when he's talking about how there's not water pouring through the tree, yeah. for a second there, it That's... actually sounded like he knew what he was talking about. Yeah. And yeah. and then he just said, and then it explodes. Yeah. And 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 the thing what we're referencing here is that is that um one of the the things that climate scientists and people that are studying these fires agree on is that what is that not necessarily that like climate change, the increase of the temperature in the climate by a couple of degrees is spontaneously like starting fires. But what it is doing is meaning is making um, the fires that occur either naturally or caused by humans inadvertently or intentionally way, way, way worse. So, so um, one Stanford science, climate scientist said, Quote, we see fires growing from essentially nothing to a quarter of a million acres in one day. And that's because the conditions are ripe and the temperature plays a large role. So what's happening is that as temperature increases, as rainfall decreases, we're getting dry, arid um, places in California. And, you know, it, we're getting these record hot days, which are leading to increased um, uh, meteorological activities. And like things like lightning storms, which they recently had in California, are setting off these fires that just can't be contained because climate change is making the situation way worse, making the fires way more aggressive. Yeah. And look, I it's it still boggles the mind that climate change denial is still a thing. Yeah. Like, look, I I've heard a lot of people try to make you know uh, goodwill arguments mm -hmm. in which they'll say well even if climate change isn't real we should still do these reforms because like you know worst case scenario we have a cleaner earth and like i, I respect the intention behind that argument but it's it, there's no debate yeah uh, there is there's no debate like don't cede any ground like that it's just you might as well i mean you might as well be defending like whether or not like the holocaust sky is denial or yeah, yeah it's or, like... or holocaust denial i mean it's it's absolutely ridiculous according yeah. to uh the nasa official website 
um, the the global temperature tracker. Um, if we look at the average annual anomaly year by year, and when we're saying average annual anomaly, the way it measures an anomalous temperature is the difference between the temperature of the temperature average of that specific year mm. and the temperature average of uh, the years between 1951 and 1980. All right. Gotcha. So that means that, um, at, you know, if a temperature is higher or lower than that, that is a temperature anomaly based on, mm -hmm. based on this study, based on this graph. Um, and what's interesting is you can actually, when you look at the graph as it stretches all the way back to the 1880s, you see a spike, a, a, a kind of small spike, but a spike during the years of uh, 1939 and uh, 1945. Hmm. You know what happened during that time period? Hmm. World War II? Yeah, World War II. <laughs> so because because of all the stuff yeah. that was happening in World War II, there was a little bit of a spike. But Nathan, humans can't cause climate change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you look at the rise in the anomalous temperature, in 2019, there is a 0.99 degrees Celsius anomalous temperature. Mm -hmm. And you can see... When you look at the graph, you can see a steady rise in the, uh, you know, in the average temperature. And look, you have, you can have people that try to point to specific year by year time periods in which the temperature went slightly down and then mm -hmm. maybe slightly back up and then sure. try to say, oh, well, well, it's stable. But if you look at the general line, which that is what we mean when we say climate change, we don't mean that, you know, one year it's this one year it's this. We mean that it is a continuous line. That mm -hmm. continue that goes up. Um, it's undeniable. Like, yeah. In in order to believe that climate change is a hoax, you would have to believe that all of these scientists that are collecting the data on the Nash on the uh, global temperature, the global temperature averages, are just falsifying it, are just yeah. making it up, and that would take a massive global conspiracy. Which we know does not work. Which we know does not work. You especially you in the scientific community. Especially in the scientific community. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and and uh, and to make another concede, like concede the obvious point that we shouldn't concede argument, which I know are a little annoying, but can can help convince people. Even if climate change were not human caused, like even if this trend was somehow related to something else. We should still do what we po everything we possibly can to reverse that because yeah. we want to live here. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. want to survive here, and so we know that um, carbon emissions and you know the use of fossil fuels and you know different types of like dirty production and things like that have negative effects. And so, like even if those aren't con you know contributing to a global long-term trend we should do everything we can to try to try to try to fix this yeah. problem which they are um, which they definitely are like people often cite the source uh the the, the number 97 percent of climate scientists agree that science uh, that climate change is real no it's not just that 97 percent of climate scientists agree that it's real it's that 97 percent of climate scientists agree that it's real and it's anthropogenic meaning mm -hmm. that it is caused by humans yeah. Um, now, I, I, 
we often do hear that number. Uh, I just want to make sure that people know where that comes from. Um, because, you know, what, what is it like you, you took a survey of them? No, that, that's, it's not a survey. It's, uh, 97% of climate scientists who are actively publishing mm -hmm. come to the conclusion that it is, uh, anthropogenic climate change. I've sometimes heard conservatives try to make the argument that, oh, well, that 97% of scientists agree with that. That's not necessarily that they took a survey. That's just saying that 97% uh, of published work is saying that. Well, but here's the thing. That's actually an argument more in favor of climate change being real because yeah. when you are just sticking to the idea of, well, 97% of scientists say this, you are kind of violating the you know appeal to authority fallacy mm -hmm. but if we're specifically referring to the papers that they study that they yeah. uh, published the studies that they carried out then you can actually see the process of which they came to that conclusion mm -hmm. and that right there is an actual reasoned argument yeah peer so, review is not appeal to authority exactly peer review is not a, a, an appeal to authority so at the end of the day you can easily look up what the average temperature has been over the last, like, you know, uh, over the last century. And you can see a very observable increase mm -hmm. in the average global temperature. Climate yeah. change is happening. It is. It is. Yeah. It's, it's not and, a debate. It's happening. And the thing is, like, it is somewhat surprising that there are still people that reject that that is true. But on the other hand, it's not as surprising. Because there are groups, specifically um, large oil companies and fossil fuel manufacturers and things like that, um, who have a very have a highly vested interest in making sure that there's questions about the legitimacy of climate change. And so, even though like we've ha we've seen and been predicting the symptoms of climate change since the 1980s, and even though in 1988 a Shell Oil document stated, "quote By the time global warming becomes detectable, it could be too late to take effective countermeasures to reduce the effects or even stabilize the situation." Well, the fact is that in the 1990s, their strategy became to fight any and all regulation of the fossil fuel industry, and so. You know, on the one hand, sure, like the, the, the science is obvious, but it's fighting against a PR campaign, a coordinated PR campaign to not only discredit the science, but to erode our motivation to do anything about it. And, and one of those things is an implied belief in like the tragedy of the commons of climate change. So the tragedy of the commons, just for anybody who doesn't already know, is basically the idea that when something is not owned by any one individual or one person, um, but it's rather just a common, the pro common property of all, it tends to be neglected by everyone because, because no one is responsible for maintaining it. Um, it tends like no one, um, you know, holds that responsibility. So there's no incentive for any one person to act well because they don't think anybody else will act well. And, um, there's no incentive for any one person to be, you know, to effectively maintain that common good. And so, you know, what this argument says about climate change is that, well, it's caused by all of us. And if any one of us does something small, it's not really going to make a difference. And so, 
maybe we shouldn't do anything about it. Or maybe, or maybe you and I should start recycling our plastic bottles, but we shouldn't, you know, go up the supply chain and start figuring out alternatives to plastic. Yeah. But the but fact is that, that, you know, that just doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work because it's not a tragedy of the commons. Like, yes, you and I can do things that in aggregate make a difference. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But the fact is that according to one report released in 2017, 70% of the world's greenhouse gas, gas emissions over the previous two decades are attributable to just 100 fossil fuel producers. And an update last year outlined that the top 20 fossil fuel firms um, create a third of total global emissions. So the idea that it's you and me, that unless we somehow get everybody on board, you know, have to solve this problem on our own, is a red herring. Yeah. Look, the libertarian ideology when it comes to the environment is incompatible with the in continued existence of human life on earth. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. This yeah. cannot be about individual responsibility. This, this has to be about collective action. That is the yeah. only way that we can actually save our planet. And that collective action needs to take the place of, you know, yes, there are individual things that you can do like recycling, um, but it has to take the place of uh, a complete overhaul of our energy grid in order to uh, make sure that our energy is coming from clean energy, mm -hmm. um, complete overhaul of standards on automobiles, boats, planes. It can't yeah. just be, well, I have a plastic bottle. I put it in recycling instead of trash. I've done yeah. my part. Because, yeah, just to, to dive a little bit deeper here, like, just think about your own life, right? Think about the choices that you can make that could benefit the environment. If you are out and you need water, what options do you have? Almost, you know, almost guaranteed it's going to be a plastic water bottle. If you are um, trying to get somewhere, it's almost guaranteed that your mode of transportation will be dependent on fossil fuels. And so the idea that you individually can make better choices that add up to changing the environment or that all of us, even acting together, can make choices that affect um, climate change, it may, that may not actually be true because of the menu of options that are available to us. If you think about it, by the time you choose not to buy a plastic water bottle, the water bottle is already produced. And so, you know, we, what we have to do is, be, is push for a top-down approach so that we get a menu of choices that can enable us to make the right choice. So now it's time for one of our favorite segments, Ass Hat of, of the, the week. week. So, Nathan, who is our Ass Hat this week? Well, Michael... Our ass hat this week is actually a group of people, mm. um, a group of uh, several people that went into a Target in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and they decided to protest a very important issue mm. of freedom. Yeah. 
Interesting. Usually, usually freedom protesters don't make it onto our asset list. Yeah, no, no. Um, so they were going up to random people and they were shouting at them to take off their mask. <laughs> they were actually going up to random people and shouting to take off your mask. There was one guy who was actually carrying around uh, a, a megaphone, basically mm-hmm. a, a speaker, and like you know, shouting for people to join in. So there was a policy at this target where if you don't have your face covered, you can't come in. Yeah. And they were, they were basically going around and yelling at people to take off their mask. And there was this one mother that uh, was talking about it and said, quote, uh, I was in shock. This is disgusting. They weren't angry at all. Mm-hmm. It seems like a joke to them. Mm. It's so not a joke. Guys, yeah. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> it's a worrying trend. Like apparently, this is be, this is becoming more and more common um, in Florida. There there have been rallies of maskless college students trying to get together to like, you know, protest wearing masks. Um, there was a seventy year old man who was who was beaten after asking another person to step away from him from not wearing a mask. Yeah, I did <sighs> hear about that. Seriously, like. If you don't wear a mask, you're you're not edgy. You're not yeah, cool. You're not cool. You're an ass. Like yeah. we know that wearing masks actually does make a difference. In fact, mm-hmm. there are several examples like uh I believe Japan is one of them. Yeah. Where countries in which everybody was required to wear a mask you know, even even countries that didn't necessarily shut down as much, but where everyone was required to wear a mask, they had ended up having significantly less deaths per capita just because of that. There have been yeah. several reports that have come out that have said that if from the very beginning there were mandatory mask rules in the United States, it could have saved thousands of lives. And the mm-hmm. fact that you are viewing this as a joke. Yeah. I mean, just when like when. Almost 200,000 people have died yeah. in the U.S. And many of those lives could have been saved with masks. And now we know, this, you know everybody knows that they should be wearing masks. The president, the yeah. Trumpster himself, says we should wear masks. Yeah. Though he your, goes short of Your cult and, leader has, has spoken. Yeah. Wear it, your freaking mask. Yeah. If you want to open the economy... Wear and, a mask. And the guy with if the you megaphone. If you want to save was, lives, wear a mask. Yeah. And the guy with the megaphone was actually wearing like a MAGA shirt. Mm. So like no your, your your cult leader has spoken. Yeah. You know, you can you can wear a mask. You should wear a mask. Mm-hmm. All right. Listen to Trump. Yeah. We don't oh, say that, that often. Say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't say that often, but <clears throat> it's listen so easy. to Trump. <laughs> So anyways, congratulations to the Fort Lauderdale anti-mask protesters for being our Ass Hats of the Week. And now for our final segment, we want to talk about fake news. Fake news. Fake news. Specifically, we want to talk about the rhetoric of fake news. And the fact that, you know, whether more or less of the news is false these days is almost less important than whether people believe that the news they disagree with is false. Yeah. So 
before we get into this, I think we need to actually create a concrete definition of fake I totally news. agree. Completely. Because fake news is thrown around very casually by To mean our, pretty much anything. Yeah, to mean pretty much anything. You know, something that you disagree with. Like mm -hmm. something that disproves your preconceived notions. Something that is less than one hundred percent flattering to the president. Yeah. So here's what fake news actually means. So fake news means it is a fabricated story. Yes. Fake news does not mean that it is a story that maybe got a few facts wrong. Fake news does not mean a sensationalized story. Mm -hmm. It does not mean an incomplete story. It certainly does not mean a biased story. Mm -hmm. What fake news means is that the, the story itself was fabricated mm -hmm. completely and baseless. Yeah. It means basically propaganda no not up. even no propaganda is in its own category like propaganda is you know technically still information that has a certain spin mm. like fake news w is more in the category of misinformation and disinformation mm. like it is worse than propaganda yeah and <laughs> yeah and more clearly false yeah exactly so the reason why it is really important to make this distinction is because actual fake news has real-world consequences. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure a lot of us have heard of the case of Pizzagate. Oh, yeah. So there is this fake news story, actual fake news story, that was going around the interwebs that said that uh, Hillary, and this was back in uh, 2016, that Hillary Clinton was running a secret pedophile ring in the basement of a pizza place in Washington, D.C. Now, the pizza place didn't even have a basement. It's a completely mm -hmm. fabricated story that yeah. probably some asshole sitting in a chair thought it would be funny to stir things up. Yeah. But some idiot read that story and then shot up the place. Now, thankfully, no one was hurt or killed, but they sure as hell could have been. Mm -hmm. You can't casually throw around the term fake news because what fake news is, is a powerful and dangerous yeah. phenomenon yeah. that cannot be taken or discussed lightly. And importantly, fake news very rarely exists, if ever, from actual news media organizations. Yeah. Like mo like legitimate news sources work very hard to find stories that are true and do their best to get at the truth. Yeah. Sometimes there's this, you know, sometimes there's spin and bias, sure, sometimes they're incomplete, sometimes the facts are wrong, but they n almost never, if ever, I've never seen an example of a time when an, an, a legitimate news source has made up a story from whole cloth. Yeah. Now, there have been some examples in which larger uh, mainstream news outlets like, like Fox News mm -hmm. has re-reported on fake news. Mm -hmm. Which is a problem. Which that is, is a, a problem. Neglect, that is them neglecting their duty and responsibility as a news organization. Yeah. But as much as I hate Fox... That does not make them a fake news organization because mm -hmm. they are not the ones 
that fabricated the story. Yeah. And it's an exception, not the rule, even for Fox News. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that Fox News is a good source of information, mm -hmm. but it does mean that they are not fake news. And there's a problem with believing that fake news is all around you. There's a problem with thinking that the stories that you think um, you disagree with are fabricated and fake. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that you should just believe everything you see on the internet. Hell no. There's a lot of conspiracy theory BS on the internet, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that every time you see an article that goes against your preconceived notions that it must yeah. be fake. And in fact, you should approach it as if it might be real. Yeah. So here's one thing that we really need to start doing. So it is true that most sources have some type of bias. Even the really good sources have some type of bias. So the point of me saying that is not to say, well, that means you can't trust any sources because if something is biased, that doesn't automatically mean that the information is wrong or that they have nothing to offer you. What you need to learn to do is separate statements of fact from statements of interpretation. Mm -hmm. So a statement of fact is a statement that is either right or is wrong or it's wrong. So in a given article from a from a news source, separate out what are the statements of facts what are the objective statements and let's look into them let's look yeah. and make sure that those are actually facts they can be verified they're verifiable facts yeah and then you can look at the statements of interpretation and then you can judge for yourself whether or not those statements of interpretation yeah. are legitimate interpretations now oftentimes in some of the major news outlets you know they're they might not be one that uh, an interpretation that you 100% agree with, but it usually does still have something to offer because a lot of the people that discuss them are, you know, experts. Yeah. In and importantly, things. once you know whether the facts are true or not, you can use your own thinking mind to determine exactly. whether the analysis, the result, is accurate. Yeah. Also, one thing to think about is that you might find a story that is 100% true, but doesn't tell the whole story. Mm -hmm. Sure. Or it might leave out technique. important context. This is referred to as the reporting bias. So let me give you an example. And here's, here's a bone for the right-wingers. So if you see a source that talks about Donald Trump being a admitted sexual predator, that is 100% true. You know, he's been alleged to be a sexual predator, and we have him on tape admitting to sexually assaulting women. You know, it's it's a fact. It's a fact. It's a statement of fact. He has admitted to sexual assault. It's a fact. But if that same article that is analyzing the election leaves out the fact that there is still an outstanding allegation against Joe Biden, mm -hmm. well, then that's reporting bias. It doesn't mean that the news source is completely bogus. It doesn't mean that the story itself is incorrect, but what it does mean is that there is definitely an inclination to put more attention on one story and less attention on another. Now, I would argue that because of the fact that 
uh, Donald Trump is an admitted sexual predator and has multiple allegations, and Joe Biden is an alleged sexual predator and so far has only one, that, the sto that Trump's story probably makes more sense to pay more attention to. But what I just said right there, what I just did right there, that was interpretation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was interpretation. He started by laying out the facts. Yeah. Then put the facts in a particular order that you then led to a conclusion. Exactly. Yeah. And now it's obviously not easy always to tell exactly what an objective or factual statement is. Sometimes like they mix a lot of objective factual statements into um, a number of, you know, interpretive statements. And so it's not always easy to do this, but we give a lot of tips on the show about different methods and ways that you can remain intellectually honest and techniques you can use to find good information out there. Um, because, you know, it's not obvious and it's not easy, but it's critical because yeah. what's not sustainable is assuming that because something doesn't jive with your current intuitions, it's false. What's not sustainable is assuming that anything that disagrees with you or benefits or, you know, it appears to uh, speak well of a person or a group that you disagree with, it's not, it's not sustainable to just assume that that's false. Because when you do that, when you assume that fake news is anything, the fake news is, is inherently not true, is truly fake news, and is anything you disagree with, then there's no bridge to common understanding. There's no ability for us to conduct productive discourse. There's no argument that you can make based on facts and analysis that can reach the other side. Yeah. One of the most tragic things about the Trump administration is the degradation of discourse. Yeah. The fact that, I mean, I, one thing I've even noticed among a lot of conservatives is that the arguments have just gotten so lazy. They've gotten really lazy, yeah. Because they, you know, a lot of prominent conservatives have gotten to the point where they realize that all they have to do is present a story as a mm -hmm. plot by liberals, yeah, and then they don't need to make an argument because mm -hmm. a pro almost half of the country will agree with them or will stand with them because yeah. they said that. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 what that erodes is not only our confidence and um, support of truth and intuition, but also the um, willingness and the dedication to continue to pursue truth. When you can make a lazy argument that people that that people just accept, then people then then those thinking minds have neglected their their critical duty of a diligent pursuit of the truth because ultimately the truth only has one natural advantage over falsehood only one and that is the fact that it happens to be true there is nothing that makes truth more easily identifiable than something that than than a false statement except for the fact that it is true which is a pretty nuanced like epistemological like claim in the world the fact yeah. that the fact that um, to discover the truth not only um, requires 
you know, that you, you do your research, but also that you think critically and, and that you break down logical problems, which is hard. And it's especially hard when fact bases develop into interconnected um, foundations of falsehood. And those falsehoods work together to create a fallacious worldview. Because then it's really hard to tell what is true and what's not. I find this to be a really difficult thing to overcome when con when conversing with conservatives. Like the fact base is so is often so misaligned that there's no um, common area to connect the two worldviews, to connect the two beliefs. And so, you know, I don't claim to have total, you know, in any way, total intellectual discipline or or exclusive access to the truth in, in any way. But the requirement is that we stay vigilant, that we stay intellectually disciplined, that we make good faith arguments and that those arguments are based on fact. Because, you know, the only thing we can do is try to seamlessly connect logically all of the bits of truth that we think are true. And when one of those doesn't fit, we have to be willing to um, break down the contradictions to be able to get at a cohesive and non-contradictory um, belief and worldview. Yeah. It's hard. It really is. You know, and, and look, one thing I would like to point out is that there's definitely a very common trend on left-wing media Mm -hmm. And and I'll admit, I, I think there are some points in which Michael and I might even be guilty of this as well, where we see we take an argument that a specific conservative has made mm -hmm. that is very clearly intellectually dishonest and false and idiotic. Yeah. But then we kind of take that argument as an overall representation of the intellectual dishonesty of the individual. Mm. And like in some cases, there are people in which if you're intellectually dishonest over and over and over and over and over again, it's sure. safe to just say, yeah, you're an intellectually dishonest person. However, we do also need to reflect on our own intellectual dishonesty. Mm -hmm. um, we do which also is need absolutely to, there. Yeah, which is absolutely there. You know, there are times in which Michael and I have said things in which we're relatively intellectually dishonest. And, you know, even though we do try to do that, we do yeah. try to maintain intellectual honesty. We're humans. We're yes. not perfect. Yeah. And we have biases and our yes. biases shape our worldview. Even yeah. though I like to think that we're right, ultimately, on most of our conclusions, mm -hmm. we do have biases that might change our worldview. And pretending that those don't exist yeah. is not intellectual honesty it's yeah and it's not a solution the fact is human we're, we're humans and and brains are lazy right we yeah. want to take cognitive shortcuts so we can work faster and work better we want to build intuition and assumptions into the world around us so that so that you know when you're driving in your car and the car in front of you stops you don't have to do three hours of calculations to figure out whether you should stop or not yeah. Like the whole, the, the thing that brains are really good at is jumping to conclusions pretty accurately most of the time. But the most, the more complex the world gets, the more complex um, our lives get, the less and less effective that's going to be. And, 
and relying on those intellectual shortcuts, on trusted groups and sources, um, without being vigilant and disciplined about the pursuit of truth, um, it leads to nowhere good. So remember that bias does not mean false. Yes. Unbias does not mean true. Yes, absolutely. And you can get information, you can get something valuable from a person who you might disagree with on other opinions. Yeah. And if your immediate inclination when you see something that disagrees with your worldview is, well, look at the source. I don't even have to read that. I don't even have to pay attention to that. I don't have to engage with that. Mm -hmm. Then you are not demonstrating intellectual honesty. You are not yeah. demonstrating a curiosity yeah. to find the truth. Mm -hmm. Let me put it this way. The most exciting moments in your life should not be the times in which you were able to prove yourself right to someone else. Mm. It should be when someone else proved you wrong mm -hmm. and it made you question your worldview in a way that opened your mind to multiple different possibilities. Yeah, absolutely. And your tools to wade through that minefield are, is logic. And um, to your point, Nathan, about, about, people that you disagree with and changing your mind. I'll, I'll um, give one of my favorite quotes on logic and our ability to make sense of the world with it. And that is, quote, contradictions do not exist. Whenever you think you are facing a contradiction, check your premises. You will find that one of them is wrong. You know who said that? Who said that? Ayn Rand. <laughs> <laughs> That really ties all the themes together, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that really does. <laughs> if only she had done that. Would have saved me a lot of grief. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and now it's time for our uh, ending on a high note. For, with highlights. So, uh, Nathan, what's your highlight this week? My highlight this week would definitely be that uh, Jess and I, over the weekend, visited what is hopefully going to be our new condo. Uh, Congratulations. Things are looking good at this point. It's looking like it is going to happen. There are still some other things we need to work out. But it was kind of nice to go through the space, look at it, think about what work needs to be done, and just imagine ourselves living in our own place again. Oh, congratulations, dude. That is so, so exciting. Yeah. Very worthy highlight. Yeah. What about you, Michael? What was your highlight? Oh, it's still got to be my vacation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was so It was so great to take a break. Um, I feel so much better having returned a little bit rested um, and... I've already noticed, like, I've been putting out better work at work. I've been having more clear thoughts. And so it's it's inspired me to try to bring more moments of peace and vacation into my everyday life. So, hmm. Trying to remember my last vacation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Not to, not to brag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds wonderful, Michael. Yeah. Anyway, 
Thank you so much for listening to The Perspectrum, and you'll hear from us again next week. <laughs>